Are you ready for God's word? We're going to try this again. Are you ready for God's word? All right, turn, turn with me to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. And today I'm starting a series of messages that I'm really excited about called Who Needs Church? Now, before you, before you tune me out or because you're like, oh my God, this is where the pastor tells me I need to go to church. That is not what this is about at all. Surprise, I don't do anything that you expect, right? Um, but, but I feel like in our culture, trends and... and, and, and um, and kind of the ways that people live change. Uh, if you were like me, you were raised up. I had a drug problem growing up. Um, I was drugged to church all the time. I was drugged on Sundays and Sunday nights. I was drugged for Saturday night um, prayer meeting. I was drugged on Tuesday visitation. I was drugged on Wednesday night when we, because we had church Wednesday night and twice on Sunday and 18 times in the middle. Um, how many had a drug problem? And by the way, for me, it was never like, honey, do you want to go to church? It was like, you live here, you eat my food, you go to my church. That was how my dad explained it to me in a loving, loving way. And so we, in our church, we have a lot of generations. We have, we have people that are, you know, young adults, 18s and 20 year olds. Um, and then we have the more mature of us. And then we have people 40 and 50 and 60, 70, 80 years old. And, and all of us have different perspectives. And, and if you're my age and older and probably older than me, you probably went to church all the time because if you didn't show up you know, two weeks in a row, you were considered back slidden. Does anybody know what that means? That means you were on the verge of losing your salvation over church attendance right there. It was, you were, you were, God was holding you by stitches of your clothing over the fiery fires of hell, right? And so you were, you were so, and we were praying for you if you missed two Sundays in a row, we were praying for you. And, and now you may be a, a young adult, and you may be saying, you know, this is, seems like a cool thing to do every now and then, and, but I don't really know the purpose, and I, I don't know if this is what I should be doing. And, and if you're over here, maybe you were guilted into going to church, but you don't still understand, like, I do it because I don't want God to get mad at me, but that's not why we want to go to church. And, and if you're over here, you may not know why we do it all, but, but you, you like hanging out here from time to time. And so I think it's an important question that we all have to ask ourselves, who really needs church? What's it for? What's it about? What's it supposed to look like? What's it supposed to do? Because all of us have church experiences today. If this is the first time you've ever been in church, this is your first church experience. We hope it goes well. But all of us have church experiences. Some of us have bad church experiences, right? And in fact, in, in a survey that we did, the number one reason why people don't find a place to worship is bad church experience. They were hurt in church. And let me say right up, that, that is a legitimate issue. That's a legitimate problem. That's hurtful. I have been hurt in church. I've been hurt by church leaders. I have been, as a pastor, hurt by church people. And so I understand what it, believe it or not, you know, so many times people say, well, I, I'm hurt in church. I know. And sometimes we feel like the pastor can't relate, but I've been able to be hurt by everyone in church. I've been hurt by people on staff with me. I've been hurt by every place in the org chart. And I've been hurt by everyone inside the organization at some point. I, when you join our team, if you're a pastor, I will tell our people, sheep bite you're going to love them and try to feed them and they're going to chew your thumb off. That's what's going to happen. But they're just going to do it because they're sick. They're just going to do it because they're hurting. They're just going to do it because they got an infection or they're scared. And so as pastors, we just sign up to get bitten and we're not going to bite back. That's what we talk. We're not going to bite back. We're just going to be bitten and try to feed a different way. Amen. You know, the truth of it is, that is a legitimate reason if we've been hurt in church. But here comes the question, if I've been hurt in church, is there enough value in the church to fight through the hurt to it? Because if I don't really see purpose and value in it, once I get hurt, I'm, I'm out of here. I had bad steak one time. 
You need to know I love steak. If you're a vegan, I thank God for you. If you're a vegetarian, I thank God for you because that is more cow for me. I don't have a problem having them slaughtered in a peaceful way and having them turned into groceries. I don't have a problem with that. But one time I was in Memphis, Tennessee, and I was stuck there, and I was eating dinner in a hotel. And I asked the little waitress, I said, ma'am, is the steak here good? And she said, oh, yes, sir, it is good. I said, then I will have the filet. Now, I like my filet cooked medium rare because I want all the flavors. I want that. If, now, my wife, she likes hers more like well done. Well, medium well, medium well. And so there's still a little life in it, but not much. You got to poke around in there. to. And then there are some people that they just like beef jerky, apparently, and they'll pay a lot of, a lot of money for beef jerky. Me, I want mine just, you know, I want it to have mood not too long ago. I want it to be. And so I told her I want it medium rare. And, and I should have known there was a problem when she brought me a bottle of ketchup. Yeah, because if you're a steak person, you know. If they're bringing you ketchup, that's an apology. Because <laughs> they're saying, you're going to need something to help get that down. Sure enough, the steak came. Well, it wasn't really steak. It was more like beef jerky. In fact, it was a lot like leather, only leather would have been easier to chew and had more flavor. And so, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Now, while I would never order a steak there again, maybe, I didn't give up on steak. Because I see the value in steak. I see the nourishment that comes from steak. I see the vitamins and minerals and the proteins. I see it's got some macro power. It's even got some fats that I love me some steak. And because I believe in steak and I understand the purpose of steak, I ain't giving up on cows because somebody didn't know how to cook it. I'm all, so that's why, is there enough value in the church to fight through the bad experiences? That's a question we have to answer, isn't it? Um, uh, we did some research, and I say we because I had some help. Um, you know, if you see a turtle on top of a fence post, it did not get there by itself. And so it, every time I stand up here, I didn't get here by myself. So I had some help. We did some research, um, and we found out that uh, Barna had done a survey. Uh, in fact, before Barna's survey, there was another group that did a survey, and it was about how often do you attend church? How often do you attend church? And here's what they found. They found that, that of, of people who said that they attend church, um, that the, the frequency at which the average of those people would attend church is three times every two months. Three times every two months. Um, now, that, that doesn't sound like a, a lot of frequency, but I started looking at our, our church, and, and, and uh, in Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Church, he, he described kind of what church looks like in concentric circles, kind of like a bullseye, like a circle, and inside a circle, inside a circle, all the way to the center. And he said, out here is your community, people who don't attend church. Then you have a crowd, people who maybe come every now and then, like at Christmas or Easter or something special. Uh, and then you actually get to your church. Those are people who say they attend your church. Then you have your congregation. Those are the people you actually rely on because they contribute in some way. And then you have the core. That is the people that get stuff 
done in the church. And when I looked at that, I thought, it's kind of true, because if I look at the core, our core of people, about 20, 20% of our people, they're going to be here almost every week. They're going to be serving, uh, sometimes in more than one worship experience. They're going to be giving. Um, they're, they're in the life groups, or they're leading life groups. Those are the people that really get things done. And then right outside of that is our congregation. Those are people that are contributing, um, maybe not as often, maybe not as frequently, but they are very much a vital part of what we're doing. They're serving occasionally. They're giving giving. Uh, they are a part. And then we get outside of that congregation to the church. These are people that say that they go to church here, but the truth of it is they come very sporadically. We don't always know them. And sometimes they sneak out. Sometimes they sneak in. And sometimes they don't ever want to be seen. Um, and then after that, we, we get out to the crowd and that's the Christers. And we're going to see them Christmas and Easter and maybe somewhere in between. And that's okay. We celebrate anytime someone comes to the house of God, but that's just the reality of it. And in and, and this study, they they found that in the last 24 years, um, 15, there'd been a 15% drop in regular church attendance. And so you think about this, if we're coming three times every 60 days, here's what I'd say. If the church was given to us or created for a purpose, could you really experience that purpose three times out of 60 days? Like get a gym membership and work out three times every 60 days. And you'd be like, I don't know why I can't see my abs yet. I don't know where my biceps are. I worked out three times in the last 60 days. Like go on a diet, eat clean three days out of 60. I don't know why the scale's not going down. I had three clean days and 57 cheat days. <laughs> so I would say is maybe, maybe the disconnect is do we really understand what, what it's all about. So, so attendance has gone down 15%. To, in 2016, a study revealed that 79% of Americans claim a religious affiliation, but only 55% of Americans actually say they attend a church or synagogue. That's 24% of people that claim to have faith don't actually gather with people of faith like them. Um, Barna, their survey, they asked, why don't people go to church? They gave five reasons why people don't go to church. Number one, they said they found that people said it was irrelevant. It didn't really speak to their life. Number two, that there was too much hypocrisy. In other words, people say one thing and act a different way. They act one way at church, another way at home. Um, uh, number three, moral failures. It's flawed and the leaders are flawed. Uh, number four, God isn't present in the gatherings. And number five, doubt is prohibited. In other words, you, you have to believe like us to belong to us, which is completely the opposite of what Jesus said. He said, you can belong to me and then you might believe like me. Um, Kerry Newhoff, church leadership guy, church um, uh, church guy, he's pastor in, in Canada, eh? Um, but anyways, he... Um, yeah, he, he did his own research and he came to seven reasons why he thought people were attending uh, less frequently. Because for me, like I said, the number one thing we, we discovered in our survey was this, I've been hurt in church or had a bad experience in church. And so when I think, when I look at our core, our congregation, um, you know, our church, I don't, I don't necessarily think those first five reasons are the reasons why people aren't coming more frequently. I don't think that's it at all. Um, these I thought were probably more accurate. Number one, greater affluence. In other words, there's just more options. We got jet ski now. You know, we got we to gotta take the boat out. Nothing wrong with that. Praise God for those things, right? God wants us to enjoy the fruit of our labor. That's actually a scripture. Um, and so we just have more options available to us. Uh, number two, higher focus on kids' activities. Every kid's going to the pros, man. And so um, now there's all these different teams. You know, when, when I was a kid, and think about if you're, if you're in my generation, we were a kid, we had a baseball team that was only in the spring and summer, and we didn't practice on Wednesdays, and we never had games on Sundays because those were considered 
church times, but that's not the way our culture is anymore. Now, if your kids are apart, there's practices all the time and games all the time. And if you're going to participate, you're going to be gone. So there's a higher focus on kids' activities. Uh, more travel, cheaper airfare, um, hotel deals, getaways, those type of things, number four. Blended families. And so if you're sharing custody, then that changes, um, that changes your frequency of, of how you worship. Uh, online options. Why should I come hear you, Pastor? I can pull up Stephen Furtick tomorrow on YouTube, you know, and 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 which I I watch Stephen Furtick from time to time. I like him. I also watch the Bishop. I watch a lot of people, and I'm thankful for the online options. But now there are people today joining us online. Hi y'all, and so and so we're glad you're here. But but there are more options. I I could listen to our worship team, or I could I could download the latest uh, Hillsong album, and so which it's people, it's awesome. Anyways, um. So there's that, and then there's cultural, the cultural disappearance of guilt. We're no longer, like when I grew up, they made you feel guilty if you, like you hadn't been in church. Uh-huh, what you been doing? You don't love God anymore? <laughs> no, I had the flu, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, I was sick, you should have been at church, we'd have prayed for you. I was dead, you should have showed up, we'd raised you up, you know what I mean? It's just... <laughs> And that's something we don't want anybody to, to feel here. And then number seven, Carrie said, self-directed spirituality. I don't want people to tell me how to worship. I want to do it my way, my time, that kind of thing. And I think those might, might, be, might be accurate. Um, so as we dive into this, you might explore if those resonate with you. And as we try to answer this question, I'm going to be trying to answer some of those as we go. First um, Peter chapter two, if you turn there, Peter is writing to Rome about AD 65. He is writing uh, to Asia Minor, so modern day Turkey. He is writing to encourage Gentile believers, so non-Jewish believers who are enduring hostility and persecution from their Greco-Roman neighbors. And he is writing just to encourage them in, in the faith. And so we get to chapter two, verse four, and he says this, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scriptures, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you believe this, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become a cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they don't obey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had received, had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I needed some help on my sermon title this week. And so I called Lionel Richie from 1977 with the Commodores. And I called this message, can you guess it? She's a brick house. That's what I called this message. She's a brick house. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much. God, that we can gather in your presence. And today, God, we have not gathered in a building. We have gathered in the presence of Almighty God, the creator of life and everything that we know. God, we have come today seeking you, seeking truth, wanting to hear, wanting to be changed and transformed. 
God, wanting a, a knowledge that exceeds that of this world, a wisdom that is beyond our understanding, God, that is why we have gathered. We ask now that you would open our hearts and by the power of your Holy Spirit, plant the seed of your word in our hearts that it would produce the fruit, God, of righteousness in our lives that would change and transform us into the image that you have created us for and called us to. Help us to hear and not be distracted. Help us to understand, God, what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. If you want to write down notes, three things, three things that you could write down today. Number one, the church was begun from the purpose of God and not the plans of man. I think that a lot of people maybe think that church was man's idea, that religion was man's idea. And while that is very true that some religion and, and I, you have to understand just so you know, um, I don't consider Christianity a religion. And, and I don't because it doesn't meet the criteria. A religion is man's pursuit to appease or please a deity. Um, Christianity is about God's pursuit to redeem a, a race of people, a humanity. Do you see the difference? Christianity is about Jesus and what he did for us. Religion is about me and what I do for God. I, I don't see this as a religion because Jesus did all the work. Now by faith, I enter into it. So to me, I don't believe it's a religion. Um, but, but a lot of people look at it as though it is one. And they say this is man's structure and man's plans and man's ideas. And while man is definitely involved, unfortunately, we, we can't get around that. The truth of the matter is that this is, I believe, the purpose of God more than the plan of man when we talk about church. Peter starts off with what this is built on. And he starts off by saying, as you come to him, that's Jesus, as you come to him, and then he refers to him a living stone. It's an oxymoron, really, because typically we refer to stone as dead, unless you had a pet rock. But other than that, who had a pet confession? Who had one pet rock, pet rock? No, oh, there are some hands. God bless you. Anyways, um, they don't make messes. You got it. Anyways, um, but, but it's an oxymoron in type because typically when we talk about stone cold dead, but now he's saying he's a living stone. He's a living stone. It's, it's a contradictory term, oxymoron, like, you know, government organization or airplane food, right? Short pants, all those are oxymorons. But Peter is trying to drive home a duality, if you will, in, in expression and meaning, saying that Jesus is strong enough that you can build your life on, but he is alive enough to bring all dead things to life. He, he is drawing this idea that, that he is a sure foundation for your life, but at the same time that he transforms your life completely, that, that you can build your life on him, you can trust him, he is sure, he is proven, he is steady, but also that he offers something that nothing else offers. It is only in Christianity, if you will, it's only in Christianity that the life of the one we worship becomes our life. In him was life, and that life was the light of man. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Uh, Galatians 2.20 says that we are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. Yet not we live, it's not us living, but it's Christ living in and through us. And now the life we live, we live by faith in the Son of God. And so, so Christianity, if you will, is the only faith where the life of the one we worship becomes our life. No one's ever said, well, I'm in Buddha or I'm in Muhammad. No, no, no. But we say we are in Christ. And so he is saying that Christ is strong and sure and proven, 
But at the same time, Christ has something to offer you that no one else claimed to offer, that no one else can offer, that, that nothing else can give to you. He came to give you what you actually need. Life. In him was life, and that life was a light. Why? Because we're drawn to it, because we are created for life, so we search for it. And he's saying, here is the end of your search. It's not in religiosity, but it's in relationship with this living stone. But then he goes farther. He said, this is not only a living stone, this is a cornerstone. This is a cornerstone. This is, this is the, the and Paul said it this way, the chief cornerstone. This is the chief of all stones. Because the cornerstone was the stone in, in their construction. If you went to Jerusalem, even today, you're not going to find wood construction. You're not going to find two by four construction, if you will. Um, stones are their natural, are, are their most predominant natural resource. And so all their construction is out of stone, whether it's stacked stone, hewn stone, or natural stone, all of their construction is still out of stone. And so Peter is using this analogy of something they're very familiar with and now construction terminology to point to something that God is building. And he is saying, first and foremost, to understand what God is doing, we have to understand where God has started, and that is with the corner stone. It is the first stone that was placed in any building or any construction project, they would place the cornerstone. The cornerstone was the principal stone. It was the one that determines the bounds of the project. It was one that determined the symmetry of the project. In a way, it became the standard by which all other stones would be placed in the project. That if you wanted to place any stone, you would measure that stone against the cornerstone to say, is this in line or is this not in line? It should this go here? Should it? It became the measuring stick, if you will. It became the standard. I think Ephesians, Paul said that we should grow up into the fullness that is Christ, that we're not actually comparing ourselves against our neighbor. We're supposed to compare ourselves to, am I becoming more and more like Christ? Is my life being built on Christ? Not, are they going to church? Or are they not going to church? But should I go to church? And what does Christ talk to me about? What does he draw me to? What does he have for me that I'm not comparing myself among myself? Paul said that would be unwise, but I'm comparing myself and where I'm at in life to, am I in line with the cornerstone, that he is the sure foundation. He, he is the one I can trust to see if I'm in the right or in the wrong. That truth wasn't my truth or your truth. Truth is absolutely absolute in that truth is a person. Some people claim to have it. Jesus claimed to be it. I say that because we live in a culture where everyone says, I'm living my own truth. You may live what you believe is truth, but just because you believe it does not actually make it true. How many have ever believed something that was not true? Case in point. That you can believe something about you, about God, about someone else, and it still may or may not be true. So you are not actually a good guide. You are not the compass. You are not the standard of truth. So we need someone who claims to be truth so we can line up our lives with them and have confidence that I am in the truth, right? Jesus was talking one time and he said, these men were building their houses and one of them built their house on the sand. Another one built his house on the rock, which is Jesus or the word of God. And he said, the storms came and the man that had built his house on the sand, his house was demolished. But the one that built his house on the rock, his house was left standing. Here's the point. It doesn't matter where you build your house. There's a storm coming. 
But what you build on determines if your house will be standing after the storm has passed. And Paul is saying, remember guys, you are in a storm of persecution and hostility. Life is not going well for you, but you need to look and just keep your life in line with the cornerstone. Let him be the measurement of right and wrong. Let him be, be the source of truth. Let him be the definition of life. And then you can have confidence that if the storm passes or not, you have a sure foundation. Your life doesn't need to be, be built just on your dream or your desire what's comfortable for you or what you like. But he said, no, 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 no. You need to build your life on the rock, on the cornerstone that is Christ. Let him determine what's in bounds and out of bounds. Let him be your standard or your plumb line. And then you will have confidence that no matter what you face, you'll still be standing when it's over. I like that because then, then he transitions from that into verse six. And verse six tells us this. It tells us um, that, that Peter goes on to say, for in scripture it says, and then he goes on to say, see I lay a stone in, in Zion. And begins to quote, in fact, in three verses, he will quote three Old Testament prophets, all who prophesied or pointed to this construction project with this cornerstone. I like it because what Peter is drawing our attention to is the fact that this is not a new plan. That there was actually a blueprint that was created and that this is just the carrying out of the plan. That this wasn't a new idea. It wasn't his idea. It didn't even start with Christ, although he was the cornerstone to start the construction, but it started way. See, when you build, like we're in a building project now, most of you are aware of that. Uh, we started designing that building, uh, oh, at this point, like a year and a half ago. It took us six, eight months to a year to design, to get the blueprints for the construction that still has not even exactly started on the building, although the development is well underway. Although we're over a million dollars into developing the land, we haven't poured the foundation because all the dirt has to be right. And, and, and so he is pointing to say, hey, just it didn't start with the cornerstone. It started in the heart of God thousands of years, in fact, in eternity, that this was, hear me, God's plan all along, that the church was not the idea of man or the plan of man, but the blueprint for the church was in the heart of God before he created man. And now this is just the construction. It's the beginning of the blueprint that God had created all along. And now he's showing us that throughout scripture. The church was begun from the purpose of God, not the plans of man. Here's the second thing. The church is assembled and not gathered. Look at what he says. Look at what he says. First Peter 2.5, you also like living stones. First he says, we're coming to the living stone. Now he says, you also like living stones. Again, what he's saying is we come to him. Now we become like him. We take on his life. We have become partakers of the divine nature. And now he's saying, he's saying that following Jesus is more than coming to him. Oh, hear me. Following Jesus is more than coming to him. Following Jesus is when I start looking like him. That if I come to him, I will look like him. That you cannot come to him and not start to look like him like living stones coming to the living stone. Now, now he's saying you started following him, but now you're starting to look like him. This is what it means to follow Jesus. 
Following Jesus is not a religious affiliation or denominational association. Following Jesus is when I come to the living stone, that rock that I can build my life on, that life that makes me alive. I come to him and then I begin to look like him. I begin to follow him. Because if I say that I come to him, but I never start looking like him, I may just be lying to myself. That the whole idea of following Jesus is not professing so that I, I have my fire insurance, they used to say when I was a teenager and they were trying to get us all saved every youth meeting we ever had. They had one sermon, it was on hell and how hot it was and the smell of sulfur as it burns your skin. Wouldn't that be encouraging to you as a teenager? Wouldn't that just set your soul on fire? <laughs> And so they would talk about fire insurance, which is I just have an association with Jesus so I don't go to hell. Just in case this whole thing is right, I want to make sure that I had a prayer one time. But following Jesus isn't a prayer. Following Jesus isn't a scripture. Following Jesus isn't singing a song. Following Jesus is when I look like him. The more I follow him, the more I look like him. See, when I come to Jesus, that's eternal life. But when I become like him, that's abundant life. And the more I follow him, see, we all came to Jesus because we believe something about him, but not everything about him. You didn't believe everything about him because you didn't know everything about him. You, you came to Jesus because you believed you, you could be forgiven. You believed that um, he could give you life that he could take away guilt or pain or shame or condemnation or that he could help your marriage or because you had lost your job you came to Jesus because you believed something about him, but you didn't believe everything about him. But the more that we follow him, the more we believe about him, and the more we are conformed to the image of his son, the Bible says, the more we become like him. That's abundant life. That's the goal. See, eternal life is coming to the living stone. Abundant life is being turned into a living stone. And that's what Peter is telling these Gentile believers, that, that we share in his life, and we share in his strength. And then he says this, we are being built, and he says, into a spiritual house. Now he transitions to we have come to the cornerstone. We are becoming living stones because God is trying to build a spiritual house. We have come to the cornerstone. We have become living stones because God is trying to build a spiritual house. Um, I brought some things with me today. These are awesome. These are uh, bricks. She's a brick house. You know you wanted to sit. Don't act holy, hypocrite. Probably got Florida Georgia line or some crazy thing like that playing in your car anyway. Um, Jesus loves you. Praise the Lord. Glad you're here. All right, so anyways, um, so I brought these brought these bricks because um, I, want, I want to show you something. Because what I've done is I, I've gathered, I've gathered some bricks. It's a pile of bricks. It's my pile. It's kind of artistic. Mama always said I was creative. Um, because now Peter is saying, Peter is saying, you are being built into something. We come to the living stone, the cornerstone. We become living stones because God is wanting to build something. Now, I would propose to you 
that, uh, you know, the house I live in is a, is a brick, <laughs> is a brick house. Um, and, and I would propose to you that I can only live in it because it, the bricks have been put together in a way that allows you to be, in other words, if you've ever seen a pile of bricks, you really couldn't live in a pile of bricks. You really couldn't do much with a pile of bricks. But like the building we're in, if we assemble the bricks, it, it starts to create something. Now Peter's saying we're all living stones, but this is not what God is after. My concern is we think this is what church is. It's where a bunch of stones gather in a place. And we gather under the name of Christ because we have come to the cornerstone and we have become living stones. And now we're gathering because we think gathering is what the church is about. So we gather whenever we can. If it's once a month, twice a month, three times a month, two times a year, we gather because that's what living stones do is they, is they gather. But, but, but Peter's telling us something. He's like, no, 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 no. We're not just gathering stones. God is trying to assemble a building. Because if, if we're gathering stones, that's one thing. But, but what if... What if we, we change this a, a little bit and, and we start putting these together? Now we start to get some definition. Now these start to bear a purpose greater than they were. Now there's a strength that wasn't there before. Case in point, it would not be hard for you to knock over one brick. Like if I said this brick up here and knock, you could knock it over with your little finger. But when you leave today, we have some brick walls on the outside of this building. Why don't you run into one with your head? <laughs> There's a strength that's produced, right? There is a strength that is produced. There is a definition that is understood. When they're put together, now, now there's, a, there's a purpose here. And, and I think that's what Peter is, is pointing to, that, that look at this. Now, now, now these are receiving and giving. See, I'm not against people coming to church to receive. Sometimes people say, are you a contributor? Are you a consumer? You're supposed to be a contributor. No, 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 no. I think you're supposed to be both. I think you're supposed to come in and you're supposed to gain strength from those around you. Because when we're put together and assembled, we're stronger, right? You can knock over one brick, but go try to run into a brick wall, right? We're made stronger. Now, now this brick receives strength from this brick. And this brick gives strength to this brick. And you're getting strength from bricks beside you and above you and beneath you. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 4.16. He says, for this, for this his body has been formed in his image and look at this, and is closely joined together and, cons and constantly connected as one. And every member has been given divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all. Do you see that? We're giving strength. And these gifts operate effectively throughout the whole body and we're all built up and made perfect in love. That this is what he's after. That he's trying to build something and when we're joined together, and we come together now, we gain strength because sometimes I'm weak. Sometimes I need to borrow some faith. Sometimes I need someone to pray for me. And sometimes you need someone to pray for you. That, that we're all here. Now we're, we're both consuming, but we're also contributing, right? So we're contributing and we're consuming. 
That, that so many times we think this is what I am. I'm a living stone and I'm just supposed to live over here by myself and do my own thing. And what I'd say is you've missed it. And then we think, well, I'm supposed to gather with other stones. And I would say you've still missed it because God is actually trying to build something. This starts to look now like, like a wall that we put together. I could help Trump. But this starts to look like a wall that we put together. And when this is fastened and it's connected and it's close. There is strength here. And for what God wants to do in my life, there is strength here. And for what God wants to do in my life, there is purpose here. And what God wants to do in my life, there is definition and clarity here. That, that, that I, we're building something together. And as we join together, I start to learn more about who I am. I, I'm made stronger, but also I get to contribute. And also I get to receive that, that this is what God is building. Not a gathering of bricks. A gathering of bricks is not not what he's after, not a gathering of stones, but he is after an assembly. He's wanting us to, to be assembled together to bring purpose and definition and strength to each other. Here's the last thing. Why? That's what you gotta, well, why? Why does God want to build a wall? Like, is he Trump? I mean, what's the deal? Why does he want to build a wall? Well, point three, the, the, the church the church will reveal God's power when we rely on God's plan. See, see, the truth of the matter is sometimes we tell God we want his plan, but we want it our way. And unfortunately, God is not Burger King. He's, unfortunately, he's not. And so many times we come to God and we say, we want the fullness. Like, I want to know my purpose. And I want to know your plan for me. And I will walk in your blessings. But the Bible says, blessed are those who dwell together in unity. There, God commands a, a blessing. Peter said we're being built up into a spiritual temple. Now, most of the time, most, most people, when they think of New Testament temple, they think of Old Testament temple and New Testament temple. And they think Old Testament temple is the physical structure, the temple that's in Jerusalem. Then when they think of New Testament temple, they, they go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where we know you're not that your body is the temple. And so I'm the temple. And while I would say both of those are accurate and both of those are true, the truth of the matter is in the New Testament, most of the time in the New Testament, when temple is referred to, it is not talking about an individual person, but a corporate body. Let me show you what I mean. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, don't you realize that all of you together, look at that, all of you together are the temple of God. And that the Spirit of God lives in all of you together. Let me put it in Texan. Don't y'all realize that y'all are the temple and the Holy Spirit lives in you all, y'all together? Yeah! Get her done. But anyways, I just... <laughs> Let me give you a couple more. Ephesians 2 says, together we are his house. Hebrews 3 says, whose house you are. And 1 Corinthians 3 says, you are God's building. You are God's building. So now the picture is that God is actually spiritually assembling a building that is made up of a bunch of living stones. But yet when we come together and we, 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 we find our place and we are joined and connected and assembled together, this apparently is what God's trying to build. He's trying to build a house. He's trying to come together. So, so here's the thing. 
now for me to say, well, I just want to do spirituality on my own. Well, I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm just saying you're missing out on what God wants. I'm not saying you can't go to heaven if that's your goal. I'm just saying you're missing out on what God, what God desires. See, my burden in all of this is I want to take care of what Jesus died to give us. I want to protect what he paid for. I want to prioritize what he paid for. And Jesus didn't pay for me to go do my own thing. I can. I mean, it's America. God bless it. Be free. But I'm saying the question I'm asking is what, th what is this for? What was really God's heart? What was really God's plan? And for us to say, well, I'm just going to kind of find my own way and find, well, then you haven't read Ephesians 4 because believe it or not, according to Ephesians 4, he has given us pastors and apostles and prophets and teachers to help us grow. Let me say it another way. You need me. I need you, but you need me. I need my life group, but yet our staff is a gift to you. Your life group leader is a gift to you. The people in it are a gift to you because this can't find the purpose of God without these. Because that is actually what God's trying to build. Now, the question is, why is he trying to build a house? Well, why would you build one? Because you want a place to dwell. Isn't that what we just said? Paul said to the Corinthians that all of us together are God's temple that the Spirit lives in all of us together. In other words, there is a difference between the Holy Spirit living in you and the Holy Spirit active in us. That there's a different expression, there's a different power, there's a different old, old school church term, there's a different glory. That's the weightiness of God, the fullness of God, the culture and the character and the nature of heaven and God. And, and so there is, there is a way that that happens. There's a power that we see. Let, let me show you this. This is pretty cool. Acts uh, chapter one, verse four. Why is God assembling? Check this out. And being assembled together and being assembled together and being assembled, not gathered, not doing their own thing, being assembled together he commanded them, don't part to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem, but wait on the promise. Notice he directed the promise towards an assembly. This is talking about the Holy Spirit coming to the church. And, and this is what he said. If you're not assembled, you'll probably miss it. Then, then look at this in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to preach the word of God with boldness. This is something that happened because they were assembled. God is not trying to gather stones. He's trying to assemble something because that's where his power is going to dwell. That's where his glory is going to be seen. And this is where Peter finishes up in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. It says, but you are, notice this, a chosen people. Notice people and not person. Look at the context. The chosen people, look at this, a royal priesthood, not a royal priest. A holy nation, not a holy person. Your God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had received mercy, but now, now you've received mercy. You're God's people. Look, here's what Peter says. Peter says that this nation, this priesthood, this people, assembled together 
they get to see God's power and show God's power. That this is why God's building a house. He wants a place to show up and a place to show out. That he, like, like when we come together like this, we get to see people come to Christ. We get to hear testimonies. We get to see God working in our life group and God working in our lives. He said, I've called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I get to see God working in my life. When I'm joined with others, I get to see God using my gifts. I get to see God growing me, but I also get to see God growing them. And that is us seeing the power of God inside the church. This last week, I got a phone call from someone, uh, something we've been praying for, a tumor in a body that all of a sudden began to shrink and medical, medical reasoning can't explain why. But we've been praying and fasting for years to see this move. And I thought I get to see God's power in his church. But then he says, we show forth the praises. I get to show God's power off that when we come together, his power in and among us is more, more, more clearly seen than just his power in my life. That, that it was Peter and James on their way to meet with the church that healed the man who was lame. Are you with me? That, that there is a power that we get to show to the world. That's why I'm excited about Unite because it's churches coming together to show God's power off through unity where God commands a blessing. And that's why Peter is saying, look, look, you come to the cornerstone. Uh, he has made you living stones because he wants to build a house where he can show up in your life and show out like he can't do if you're by yourself, like he can't do if you don't build this structure. And so he's saying, come together and be joined and committed and connected. Be engaged in the church. Don't just gather at the church. Are you with me? And when you do that, you'll see God's power and presence as never before in your life. Who needs church? I need church because because I want to see God show up and I want to see God show out and I want to see God touch the world around me. I need church for me. I need church for you. And I need church for people that don't even know him yet. That's who needs church. Why don't you stand with me?